Gas underway here on ESPN Plus. Hercules Gomez and Sebi Salazar with you. Uh, Herc, folks who watch this show on a regular basis will know uh, you are significantly older than me. How is that old man ticker doing after uh, last night's intense emotional roller coaster? You tell me. You stopped picking up my phone calls, answering my text <laughs> messages. You had this whole magical uh, plan of what you're going to do, what you're going to construct, the new coaches for the U.S. Men's National Team. How are you doing? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't go inside the WhatsApp group. That I is never said that. information. I never said that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll have to put those plans off for uh, another maybe more rainy day. Plenty to come in this show. We're going to hear from Taylor Twelman, Mauricio Pedrosa. We're going to break down the qualifiers from both the U.S. and Mexico perspective. Uh, we also have some big news from the women's game. The U.S. women's national team has announced their roster for some upcoming friendlies. Her, some huge names missing from that. We'll also get into that a little bit later in the show. We don't have an interview in this episode of Football Americas, but I don't know about you. I saw a lot of reaction to our interview with Jesse Marsh from last week. A reminder, you can see the full 28 minutes uh, of that interview, or at least listen to it uh, on the podcast. Herc, where can they get the podcast? Uh, Spotify, Apple. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know these things these kids do these days, Seb. Don't ask me these <laughs> questions. Just the, the little the little phone thingy, Majiggy. Just yeah. find it there. I just wanted to see if you ever listen to the thing that I say here, which is you'll find it always in the ESPN FC feed. All right, let's get to the I dramatic to to matter you. of hand, Herc. No other place to start this show than a amazing and perhaps job-saving comeback uh, in Honduras last night for the U.S. Boy, the U.S. were in trouble. Down one nothing at the half after Brian Moya scored for Honduras to give them the lead. Anthony Robinson, one of three halftime subs by Greg Berhalter, equalized things in the 48th minute, and then it was the Ricardo Pepe show. He gets your eventual game winner in the 75th minute. Great header. 11 minutes later, he assists Brendan Aronson's goal to make it 3-1. And then it's the rebound off his shot that Sebastian Legette puts in to make it 4-1. The U.S. three goals in the last 15 minutes. Here's the manager and the man of the match. I thought he did a great job. I thought, I mean, t- worked tires tirelessly, um, you know, competed against physical center backs, scored an, a really good goal, um, and, uh, you know, overall I think had a, had a strong performance. You know, for an 18-year-old, it, it's it really impressive what he did. Yeah, it's been a special, you know, it's been special, you know, I feel like, you know, I've worked hard for all these moments. I feel like I prepared myself on and off the field for these moments. And it was after the game that, you know, I got all, all the emotions throughout the game. I knew, I knew it was important to keep the lead. I know it was important to keep working hard to to get those three points. So, you know, after the game, all, all my emotions came and I was I was just ready to, you know, celebrate the, the goal with the team and, you know, prompts to the team for, for getting these three points. How good was it, Herc? Our producer, Beto, he wants to call it the peppy game. The peppy game, he's already branding it. So, uh, one goal, two assists. Are we giving him two assists? I don't know. He's involved in all four goals. I was going to say that. If he's going to assist on that, I need to do some patty Either on the way. stats. Yeah. Um, so, he's 18 years old. It comes in his first cap. It comes, of course, just weeks after he chooses the U.S. over Mexico. It feels like this kid's legend is growing, Herc. Do you think we saw the birth last night of the next big U.S. star? Man, I don't know. I don't want to call him the next big U.S. star because we do that with everybody. We do that with everybody. This is what you do. This is what we do. We want to baptize him the Savior, the the next big thing. A sec. Take a breath. I will tell you this. He's so hot right now. He's so hot right now. (laughs) 12 goals, 4 assists. That's a goal or an assist every 91 minutes for a man that tried to make his living off of scoring goals. I can tell you it's a very, very good way of going about things. And he's just so, I don't want to say cocky, Mm. but he's so confident. 
I mean, he, he's probably too young and naive to realize what exactly is going on right now and what exactly his coach did when he chose him. An 18-year-old to line up at that nine position. I don't even want to say fate. Greg Berhalter gambled with Ricardo Pepe, and Ricardo Pepe saved Berhalter's job. I don't know if Ricardo mm. Pepe realizes what he has done, realizes where he was at and what they achieved. And he was involved in, what you say, all four goals? All four goals, yeah. Can we talk about the performance a little bit? For me, the header. Yeah. The header. Um, and you can say, if you think he saved Greg Berhalter's job, the moment that it comes in, that game totally hangs in the balance. That header, you'll tell me more how he got enough power on it. He seems to hang in the air and snap through that thing in a way that is very, very elite. You don't see that, and you definitely don't see that from 18-year-old kids making their senior national team debut. The other, the other play for me, Herc, is the assist. The assist, the timing of it, the selflessness of it to Brendan Aronson, um, it's so exciting. And you mentioned he is so hot right now. This is, a, this is a really steep trajectory that he's on all of a sudden. He started only four games in MLS last year. Now he's starting for the national team. We see the breakthrough with FC Dallas. We see what he did at the All-Star game. All the buzz around him with the decision. I think we're not just excited about this kid's present, but also, Herc, his future, and at club level, I, I, I like can't imagine him being in MLS uh, much longer. FC I know we've who? cleared the transfer FC window. FC Dallas who? That's yeah, a- I know we've cleared the transfer window, but that's the only reason he's going to last there a, a few more months. But at the international level, I think we have to spin it forward and ask, is he the number nine when this team reconvenes the starter at that position in October? Listen, I will say this. You Give me a good reason have, why not. Give me you a good reason why not. You have to have your number nine be in form. And whether that's bringing other people in to score or you yourself being the hot hand or the hot foot in this case, and you're the goal scorer. And Ricardo Pepe is that. He's got Franco Jara, a DP, Mm. in Dallas on the bench. He's got right now guys playing in the Premier League on the outside looking in. Guys who are playing in Champions League on the outside looking in. A guy who's commanding or his club wants $20 million for Mm. on the outside looking in. If you're Greg Berhalter, you ride this intelligently intelligently he's 18 years old at some point because i've been there the buzz is going to wear off the shine is going to fade who is ricardo pepe then we will find out but we're also by the way watching him literally grow in front of us both in a game in a sense of his game his ability but also physically his tall lanky body he's 18 he's still going to grow into that frame he could still be very much a different type of player by the time he gets to 23, 24 years of age. But I'm with you. The header was spectacular. Uh, In between two players, the way he rose up, met it just at the correct height, and then snapped it into the side netting. Also, the presence of mind to see Christian Roldan spring him with that tackle and say, you know what, I'm not going to hold the ball because they were winning. Maybe somebody else says, you know what, I keep this ball. I play it back. We got to grind this game out some way or another. No, directly into the heart of defense. He sees Brendan Aronson making that run, a beautifully laid off play. The ball, the weight on it was beautiful. The finish was exquisite. Uh, Ricardo Pepe, at least for these 90 minutes, Mm -hmm. looked for the real deal. Herc, you mentioned that Greg Berhalter gambled with the selection of Pepe in the 11. You could probably say that about a few of Berhalter's choices last night in the starting 11 against Honduras because there was quite a few guys that I think at least raised an eyebrow. Let's go through it here. You got 
You got Peppy up front. Uh, no surprise there. And you're missing some pieces, right? Well, no McKenny, no Dez. with Peppy up front. No Reyna, uh, no Stefan. Yeah, that's a surprise. I think the other surprises are Josh Sargent out wide, uh, James Sands in the midfield, uh, Tyler Adams at right back. We should acknowledge, by the way, that, uh, as we said before, three subs at the half. You got Brooks Bellow and Sargent off, Legette, Aronson, and Anthony Robinson on. Uh, when you first saw this lineup, because it comes out, what, an hour before the game, what was your immediate reaction? Line of three center backs surprised. I'm of the train of thought you don't use three center backs to contain. You use, especially the Gruay Greg Berhalter uses them to play out of the back, to dictate possession um, and tempo. And, and that's not the place to try to do it, San Pedro Sula. Uh, I was surprised at that. And I was also surprised maybe by the youth. Um, and when I say youth, I also mean inexperience. George Bello getting the start out wide, uh, on the left, I should say. He was the cause or at fault of the goal against. It's gonna happen to every player. He got mm. caught, but gambling on a player so young, his first World Cup qualifier, maybe the moment was too big for him. Honestly, that's about the only play I would say he wasn't turned on for, but as a defender, you always have to be turned on, and if not, it's a goal against. So the other one is James Sand, another, another uh, player, first World Cup qualifier, and you're playing him out of position. Now, I know Greg Berhalter has an affinity for slow passing center backs. I know this. I know he was one of these slow passing center backs. Maybe that's why he likes these players. But you can't have a player like James Sand debut in a place like San Pedro Sula out of position. And I don't care if he's played mm. this in New York. At this level, he is too slow, both physically and with a train of thought. It was just a bit much for him. I don't think he put him in a position to succeed. You could see in that first half he struggled. He got better as the game went on, but that first half was was a big struggle for me. And I thought we saw these signs at the Gold Cup. And then, you know, you can go on to moving Josh Charging out wide. You can go on to Ricardo Pepe, which was a gamble. I was very surprised uh, also. Tyler Adams. You don't take your mm. best midfielder out of the midfield and put him as, an, as a wingback. You don't take Tyler Adams, who's a dominant force for your team, who's one of the leaders, natural born leaders, captains of this team, and take him out of his best position, central Kirk, this midfielder. This was the real head scratcher too, wasn't it? Because it's not just that they started this way, they didn't make the change at halftime either, where I, I think everyone almost assumed, okay, now Adams goes into the middle, you replace Sands. Um, and so they almost had two cracks at it and passed. Yeah, they did. He actually left Sands, he left them there, and it wasn't until Sands came out that he switched and went back into the central, uh, central midfield. I shouldn't say went back in. He played in central midfield. And you saw a different type of team, a team that was more forceful with the initiative, a team that was more direct, a team that had more purpose to their game. And that's with Tyler Adams. Tyler Adams is the heart of all that. Tyler Adams is probably the heart of this team for Greg Berhalter. Putting him outside as a wing back was just a waste of a pawn because that's how Greg Berhalter sees the players. He sees them as pawns on this little chessboard that he can move and win the game before the game actually starts. You mentioned the World Cup qualifying debutants, Pepe, Sands, Bello, McKenzie. You probably give a passing grade to, to two out of those four. The one thing that I saw thought when I saw the starting lineup was Where's Brendan Aronson? Like, to me, he's been the most dangerous yeah. player for the U.S. I don't know why you wait to bring a player like that on. I think, though, if we're going to criticize the starting 11, Herc, don't we have to give Burhalter credit for the subs? Not just who he brought on, because all three of the guys that he brings on at the half, um, Leggett, Aronson, and, uh, and who's the third? Leggett, Aronson, and 
Anthony and Anthony Robinson. And Anthony Robinson, I'm thinking defender, but the goal comes from Anthony Robinson. All three of them score. We got to give, give him credit for that, right? Not just that he makes them, but when he makes it. You know, he waited till the 83rd minute in the last game, and here he pulls that trigger in, at halftime. You want me to congratulate him for making mm-hmm. a change or changes to a lineup that we all saw was a mess? You want to what congratulate him What else is he supposed to that? do? You're not going to give him credit for the turnaround at halftime? It was the biggest 45 minutes of his tenure, and he nailed it. And he nailed it. Seb, he almost lost it from the beginning. It could have been catastrophic. And you want to congratulate him for doing something everybody saw you had to do? Now, the players, once they were in there, give credit to the players. I always hear these, these things that drive me nuts. These figure it out. You know, figure it out. What does that mean? Well, these players, I don't want to say they figured it out. But these players themselves on the field were the ones who made the decisions. Anthony Robinson, the way he plays. The the way Anthony Robinson's played, not only this game, not just the goal, but all three games. The moment he stepped on in El Salvador, in in Cuscatlan, and then it was in Canada. How direct he is. His physical presence. He's hard-nosed. He's got a good left foot. He just seems like he's down for the moment. This is the type of player I want. In a position that, quite frankly has been an enigma for the United States men's national team for over a decade. Is he, he your could... starter moving forward? Absolutely. I don't want to see Serginho Dest there in a four. Do you want to see him in a four? I don't want to see Serginho Dest anywhere in a four. I want to see him, if you're going to play with three center back man back line, Serginho Dest. That should be the position for the, that should be how the U.S. men's national team play. Three center backs, Serginho Dest. Get Anthony Robinson on the left, George Bellow every once in a while, depending on the opponent. But Anthony Robinson has proven he can be that man for you. So he does what he does. He scores the goal. He gets everybody going. And then it's second nature for these players. I know we're slow to hand out credit here, but uh, I do think there, there must have been at least a lesson learned, we say, from the Canada game, right? Absolutely. There's clearly an adjustment, yes. maybe even an over-adjustment to make those changes uh, at the half. All right, let's bring in the uh, third part of our melee here on Football Americas as we continue to cover the U.S. men's national team. Taylor Twelman then uh, with us, of course, you see him all the time on Sports Nation coverage of Major League Soccer uh, as well. Taylor, you know, I always like to start with you by, by touching in on the emotional uh, side of this. Take me to your emotional state in, let's say, like the, the 65th minute last night before Ricardo Pepe gets that game winner. Um, what are you feeling in that moment? I felt an equalizer coming. I did not feel the comeback that we saw. I don't think I've ever seen a turn of events in 45 minutes ever in World Cup qualifying, not just U.S. men's national team history, but for the qualifiers that I've covered in my 11 years at ESPN, I've never seen anything like that. And yet I felt like because we talk about the inexperience of the players so much, and you guys have done that so far in the show, you also got to talk about Greg Berhalter and the inexperience that he has in these moments. And you have to tip your cap. This is where I disagree a little bit with Herc and his take on this, because you have to show some sign of growth. And Herc, you were right from the beginning talking about the Canada subs coming in the 83rd minute. They needed to come in the 65th. Greg could have stayed there. He could not have looked at that 11 against Honduras and said, you know what? It wasn't that bad. I'm going to let him ride out to the 60, 65th minute. He rightfully so said, John Brooks, sit down. Josh Sargent, get out of here. And let's make the subs. Let's flip the formation. And let's get after it. So from that point of view, the moment I saw the three subs and who they were, I felt like there was going to be an equalizer. But my word, Seb, I didn't see 4-1 whatsoever. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, it's uh, five points from the three games. Uh, pretty good so far, or at least good enough for Hercules Gomez. Uh, let's discuss Greg Berhalter's future, because I think coming out of those three games, you're in third place, you're above the, the line for the automatic spots. He's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. He's not going anywhere right now. But let's get a gut feeling. How confident, Taylor, are you that in the 11 games left, Greg Berhalter is the guy to get this team qualified, coming off what we've seen for the last three matches? They'll qualify. And the reason why is this. When you look at Greg Berhalter and his tenure with the U.S. men's national team is when they've had a little bit of a downfall, he's immediately made the right changes. And I think he's learned a lot about World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF, but he's also learned a lot about himself. That second half against Honduras, I will be stunned, and you two can come after me right away if the opening 15, 20 minutes against Jamaica in October, they don't play on the front foot, they're not aggressive, they don't play direct, they don't get after it. They're not gonna overthink this the way they did the first three games. If he does overthink it, then my confidence wanes, but the way Greg Berhalter has been in his tenure, both with the Columbus crew and with the U.S. men's national team, I, I'm confident they'll qualify because I think he's going to make the right mentality changes and the right pushing buttons of the right players in key moments the way he did with John Brooks and Weston McKinney. Yeah, listen, Seb, I think the U.S. men's national team will qualify because they have good enough talent where they should be in the first four, if you think about it. Okay? Yeah. Uh, but will Greg Berhalter be there at the end? I don't know about that. 11 more games to go. If they lose to Jamaica, Panama, and then Costa Rica, two of those in the bottom of what is this octagonal, he's not going to make it out of the next window. He won't hmm. be there the next window. Uh, we were close to pulling the plug. I mean, Taylor was on here last show talking about it was a must-win game for him. So he was 45 minutes away from not being here this go-around. I just think that there's too many variables to say he's a guarantee. I do agree with Taylor, this team will qualify because there's enough talent. Um, but this octagonal, or I should say, this World Cup qualifying campaign in the past has taught us we can't take that for granted. I, I can't sit here with a straight face and say yeah. Burhalter is going to be here towards the end. Yeah, the other reason, right, is we've seen, what, 270 minutes from this team over these last three games. What, what do we think? 15 mm -hmm. or 20 minutes of it was really, really good. Other than that, um, you know, I think there is a lot to be decided from the performance. But again, at the end of the day, you're undefeated. You right. only won one of three, but you are um, undefeated, as Greg Berhalter made sure to point out uh, after True. the second he is of the three matches. Let's grade the entire window then. Uh, let's do it with the A through, uh, how low did we go? I, I went F in my school, so we'll go, uh, F <laughs> is a fail, uh, E is a fail. What is D just barely passing? C is average. Uh, they got five points out of nine. They're sitting third. Uh, Taylor, what grade you give in the U.S. from these first three matches of the qualifying cycle? B minus. Uh, hmm. I, I went into these three games thinking they were going to get six points, Harkin said. So when I look at it, I felt like, no, I didn't think it would go in the manner that it did, but that's neither here nor there. I felt like they would come out with six points. I didn't think they would come out with nine the way everyone on social media thought it was. In seven, <laughs> you could probably convince me, but I felt six. Here's the deal. The reaction at Honduras, you're undefeated, and... The goal differential works in your favor. So for me, if you want to give him a C plus, fine, whatever. B minus absolutely is deserved for me because you're in third place of it. It could have been a lot worse. It wasn't. You salvaged some of that, I think, momentum that you got from the Nations League and the Gold Cup. So for me, it's a B minus. 
Hurt? Yeah, I went with the C. Uh, I, I did say five points, and it did get five points, but I went about it a different way. I went El Salvador one point, Canada at home three points, and then San Pedro Sula another tie. And they did it the hard way. They dropped points versus Canada at home. You put yourself in a hole. They reacted, yes, but they, had, they were forced to pick up those points. So it's a passing. It's a C. Um, they did well enough, but they did it the hard way. That's why it's a yeah. C. Can't fail them, right? No matter what, you can't give it a failing grade. They're above the line. They're undefeated. Uh, and for as dicey as it was up until literally the last 15 minutes of that game, like that mm -hmm. match could have swung either way. We could be having a totally different conversation. We could have been handing out E's or F's uh, if one or two bounces you say goes. E? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a lot of those back in the day. Not just <laughs> not just bounces in the second What's in the second half. Go to? In the first half as well, man. Honduras really, really was, was significantly the better team there. Uh, let, let's move on from my, uh, my schooling here. So we got, uh, we got our grades done. Let's talk now about Christian Pulisic. Because uh, this is a player who did miss the first game. Uh, of course, came over late after being diagnosed with COVID-19. What? Midway through August. Missed the first match. Started the second two matches. Um, and I don't know if this is just one of those, Taylor, like random coincidences or if there's something that's more to it. But the explosion from the United States last night comes after Christian Pulisic leaves the match in the 63rd minute with an injury. Um, I wonder if that tells us anything about either the team's performance or Pulisic's performance. How would you rate what he did uh, in the two games that we saw him? Seb, it's an interesting one because I don't know how to rate someone coming out of COVID, right? And I'm not, I'm not taking the pass here. I mean this because I, I don't know it. He, he was asymptomatic. He said he was vaccinated, but I, I don't know where that puts him fitness-wise because you guys saw what I saw. There were very few moments of explosion uh, of the dynamism that we've all fallen in love with at a young age, both at Chelsea and with the national team. And so I, I don't know how to rate that. Now, I was a little surprised, and I heard you guys at the beginning of the show talk about the lineup. I would have played Sargent and Pepe up front and played Pulisic in this free roll underneath because where the lineup really was flawed is the space between the two central midfielders and the three in the front. You had Acosta and Sands playing as defensive midfielders, so any second balls knocked down from both Honduras and the United States, there was absolutely no one in there to pick up. I would have put Pulisic there. Hmm. In saying that, I think it's fine. But I think it's very difficult to rate where he is. And I think this ankle injury is going to be very, very interesting because the news today is Giovanni Reyna is going to be out multiple games with Dortmund heading into October. If Pulisic misses two and a half to three weeks, where does that put him with match sharpness? Where does that put him with fitness? This is going to be an interesting injury to watch over the next 10 to 14 days, I think. Yeah, it will be interesting because obviously their club level will dictate how they'll come in for the next window. Uh, it's interesting you say that about COVID because we've seen this Federico Viñas, Club America, the Uruguayan, and now he had trouble coming back from COVID. Let's mm -hmm. assume COVID didn't have anything to do with his physical state. I'm going to give him a B. And the reason is I actually thought for being out of that sharpness because he spent about 10 maybe 12 days on the shelf and then came back and was training by himself to these two games i thought he was actually pretty good hmm. in spite of where they played him he's the only player who okay. takes other players on he's the only player that has the ability to break schemes tactical schemes 1v1 players are the most dangerous and difficult players in all of world football because coaches can't prepare for that 
You beat a guy, somebody else has to cover, and the scheme has changed. The way you have to defend is different. He has that ability. We heard James Sands say uh, yesterday how it's difficult for him in the first half when he was playing in that position because if one guy gets beat, there's so much space behind him. That's what Christian Pulisic can do. When you yeah. beat that man, it forces so many different things to happen. He was the only player in both games consistently trying to beat people. Herc, I feel like I've seen a lot of Christian Pulisic frustrated with this team. Um, to Taylor's point about how he's being used, do you think that has a lot to do with why we're maybe not seeing the player? And, and maybe yes. this is just my opinion. Maybe you'll say something different. I don't feel like we see the same dangerous player that we see at club level. Yes, absolutely. Well, he, there's, there's no uh, Kai Havertz and there's no Lukaku around uh, with the U.S. Men's National Team to, to take and pull players apart. But, yes, absolutely. Christian Pulisic is... He's on another level with his team offensively, his touch, his speed of thought, the way he goes about things, the way he expects the ball to be played, where it's to be played. Oftentimes, you can see the frustration level, and oftentimes, you can see him back, looking back, excuse me, at the bench, he doesn't get the touches or the amount of touches in the places he needs to to operate and get going. And maybe the, some of that isn't Greg Berhalter's fault, but personnel. You don't have Premier League-level players, Champions League winner level players on the national team. So maybe some of that is to uh, no fault of Greg Berhalter. All right, enough on Christian Pulisic. Let's transition to Weston McKinney, guys. We have a few more details of what got Weston McKinney uh, kicked off this team for a couple games. And out of this qualifying cycle, he obviously missed the game against Canada, uh, missing the game as well against Honduras. As reported by guys, our Jeff Carlisle, not only did he spend a night outside uh, the bubble, he also brought an unauthorized visitor into his hotel room, so inside the bubble. So we're talking about really not one, but two separate instances over two separate nights. Uh, given that information and all that we, that we do know now, Taylor, uh, Greg Berhalter has a pretty big decision coming up here in October. If he were to ask you for advice, mm -hmm. uh, what would you tell him about bringing Weston McKinney back into the team for those October qualifiers? I would say to Greg Berhalter, I'm not sure I'm the one making the decision. I want to see what happens at Juventus. Because what mm. I found very interesting after the news broke that Weston McKinney left the United States camp is the fact that on the Gazetta cover front page, Allegri was talking about Weston McKinney's off-the-field antics. Now, he didn't go into depth. He didn't go into any kind of depth of what that meant. But he said his off-the-field antics are hindering his performances. And so I'm assessing Weston McKinney, and for the record, my money, this is me not talking to Greg Berhalter, talking to you and the world, my money's on Weston McKinney coming back a better player and a better teammate from this experience. And especially because the United States won 4-1 without him. Hmm. If they had lost, then all of a sudden it kind of can feed into that, well, if you had Weston, what would it have done? They didn't. They won. They won without Giovanni Reyna. That's going to help that. John Brooks comes off the field. They look more cohesive. So I think all of these things work in Greg Berhalter's favor. But from Weston McKinney's point of view, I think the next two or three weeks are massive for Greg Berhalter in the United States. If he's in Juventus's group, if he's playing consistently, and I'm not saying starting, but if he's coming off the bench, whatever, if he's showing any kind of sign of progress, then obviously you have to bring him in and talk to him. I'm not saying you have to play with play him yet, but you have to have that conversation. He's too valuable. He could be a huge asset. And as, as Herc rightfully said, two of the next three games are at home. You need to win those two. Weston could be a huge part of it. But I think the next two or three weeks are huge from Juventus' point of view in assessing Weston McKinney and from Greg Berhalter saying, you know what? 
I want him back in my group now. Yeah, if I'm Greg Berhalter, I challenge him because he hasn't quite frankly been lighting up with performances at the U.S. Men's National Team as of late. This is a player that's in debt now with the, with the fan base, with this club. And if his teammates are to forgive him, or they have forgiven him, and Greg Berhalter has forgiven him and ready to move on, there has to be that challenge laid out. You have to be a different player. You have to be a leader. Because, Seb, you were talking about making this guy a captain. I think we all see leadership qualities in him in his play maybe not his demeanor maybe not vocally but in his play and if he's to be that important player you can't do this so i challenge him that's what i would do uh, taylor let me ask you this yep hey you know what's interesting about that seb hold on real quick sorry about that you know what's interesting about this whole thing is also the report that he had a conversation with the players in the locker room about mm. accountability after el salvador and then went out that's what, that's what Greg Berhalter and the staff and the players are talking about. I get whatever Jeff Carlisle reported, but the other part of that report that's massively important within the grand scheme of a team and leadership is you were preaching accountability and then you broke team protocol and team policy. That's the biggest question for Greg Berhalter and his teammates. Herc, you mentioned uh, that I kind of campaigned for Weston McKinney to be the captain a couple weeks ago. We had the conversation, who should be the U.S. Yeah. captain. We saw Christian Pulisic wear the captain's armband twice. The two times he was available, he was the captain. Tyler Adams wore it um, in the first game. As we come out of these three games, uh, how important is that position? And uh, I'll start with you, Herc, on this one. Are we convinced oh. that Polisic is the captain moving forward? Because it seems like he is the choice when available. He seems he's the choice for Greg Berhalter. I don't know if he's the choice for the players. I, I don't know if he's the choice for the fan base. I just, hear, I just hear Tyler Adams, the way he speaks. I see his demeanor on the field. I see the edge he has to him, how he holds others accountable. It screams leader. It screams captain. It screams, you're my captain. Now, whether they give it to Christian Pulisic or not, that's a different story. I do believe sometimes when you're wearing that captain's armband, there's a different type of feeling. And if you want any player to have that feeling of, hey, we need this, we, need, we have confidence in you, and we need you to be a different player, you want Christian Pulisic. Maybe that's why Greg Berhalter is doing that. Taylor, you think the lack of leadership in any way plays into what happened here with Weston McKinney, the fact that there isn't a solid, obvious captain in that dressing room? Yeah, it's interesting, Seb, because for me, there is a solid, obvious answer, and that is Tyler Adams. Um, but I do think you're, where you're getting at, Seb, is 100% correct. It's the lack of experience. When the most celebrated and decorated defender on the field was arguably the worst defender in John Brooks' the three games, that says enough. And so there's not a ton of experience in World Cup qualifying in this circle. And so that's why I look at it. Tyler Adams, from the moment he was 10 years old, was a captain, and he could wear the captain's armband. I would also tell you, you don't need an armband to be a leader. Mm. There have been plenty of good leaders that have never worn the armband. You can show right leadership without being a captain. Uh, for me, it's Tyler Adams. Always has been, always will be. And also, he's a six. He's not a wingback. He's not Philip Lom. <laughs> he's playing what? as a six on this team because he's the only one. He's the only one in your deep pool of players that plays that position at a high level. I would never move him. He's a never, six. ever, ever move him for the national team. Concur. I think uh, you were right in lockstep there with the rest of Twitter last night, right around that 60, 65th minute before the change uh, was finally made. <laughs> Taylor Twelman, man, thanks so much for the time. We'll do it again soon here on Football Americas.
No problem. See you, boys. Pasión, determinación y constancia es lo que te hace campeón y mantiene tu actitud de ride or die, baby. eBay Motors tiene lo que necesitas para darle mantenimiento a tu vehículo y para llegar hasta el rendimiento máximo. Desde sobrealimentadores, sistemas de sonido, tubos de escape, luces LED y más. Si buscas velocidad, potencia o estilo, lo encontrarás todo en eBay Motors. Con más de 122 millones de piezas, siempre encontrarás justo lo que buscas. Y con Guaranteed Fit de eBay, tienes la garantía de que tu pieza quede perfectamente a la primera o se te devuelve tu dinero. Porque con eBay Motors, quemas llantas y no tu dinero. Con las piezas que buscas, a los precios que quieres, tu auto se convertirá en el MVP que te dará el triunfo. eBay Motors. eBayMotors.com Solo para artículos elegibles se aplican restricciones. All right, from the U.S. we transition to Mexico. We had a comeback of their own, not quite as dramatic or emphatic, we should probably say. A 1-1 draw in Panama last night. It fell behind early, thanks to a Rolando Blackburn goal in the 28th minute. Actually, maybe thanks to a Memo Ochoa mistake, as you're seeing there in the freeze frame. But Mexico equalized in the 76th minute. It was Tecatito who provided the finish. Score ends 1-1. Uh, of course, no Edson in this game. He was suspended for yellow card accumulation. No Alexis Vega, uh, who was injured. No Tata Martino as well, who of course was back in Mexico recovering. Uh, what it all means, Herc, is that through the first three games, Mexico picks up seven points. Two wins and a draw with two of the three games coming away from home. It also means that, at least for now, The long-time reigning champions of CONCACAF are still the top dogs of CONCACAF. Mexico, two points clear of Canada, USA, and Panama. Her, given the summer that Mexico was coming off of, I'd say this is pretty, pretty good. Damn, very good. Are you kidding me? Uh, we, we talked about the sense that Mexican fans, Mexican pundits have of it's going to go wrong. It's going to go south. Something's going to happen. Somehow this show will be ruined. Well, that wasn't the case. They picked up the win when they needed to against Jamaica. Regardless of what you want to say, three points at home. Then they go on the road, do the exact same thing, another three points. And then it's Panama who's been surprising everybody, and they pick up a valuable road point. It, it, they're doing what, they're need, what they need to do, and they did it without Tata Martino, which, which is something. Yeah, let's talk about the performance in this match from Mexico because uh, I think if you probably compare it to the Costa Rica one, and I know you, you gave me... Uh, a little bit of resistance when I said the Costa Rica win was comfortable. This was not as comfortable. I think no. Panama were much more dangerous uh, than Costa Rica. But all that said, I mean, this was a Mexico team that responded when they needed to, clearly stepped up the pressure. Uh, and after a first half that was dicey, and again, this is what I like to see, Tata Martino made changes at the half. He may not have been the one actually making the changes, but you can bet he was there over the phone. Uh, because again, we saw three subs at the half. A major change to the Mexican lineup, and that's the difference. It's a tale of two halves. Mexico could have had two or three, if not four, in that second 45 minutes. Mexico could have had two or three, if not four goals in that second. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. You thought oh, they yeah. were that good in the second Knocking half? Knocking on the door. Absolutely. Oh. You tell me the best player on the field wasn't Panama's goalie. Oh, no, Seb, no. Oh, who was Panama's Come best on. player then? Panama's best player? They're number yeah. 10. I, yes, he was really good. He was yeah. given, he was given yeah. Mexico fits. Uh, mm -hmm. I will say this. Mexico has proven, and you mentioned this maybe a show or two ago, 
that maybe they are deeper than we really thought. And I've mm. been thinking about this. No, they are deeper than we thought. Uh, we, we talk about this golden generation for the U.S. men's national team and how deep they are. Look at the other side. I mean, these players that arguably many said were part of the B team at the Olympics are really now part of this A team here with Tata Martino. And they're stepping up. Cesar Montes was vital. Uh, even, even when the big players weren't there, Salcido or Salcedo, excuse me, is now nowhere to be found. He's now wearing the equation. Johan Vasquez couldn't be there. Cesar Montes steps out of nowhere. He was probably, what, fifth in the depth chart, if I'm being honest, uh, right there. So this is a better team than what I thought. This is a much deeper team than I thought, but they're winning. I don't think they dominated the way you thought. No. Uh, let's go over the subs, specifically the three at halftime. On comes Sebastián Córdoba, Andrés Guardado, Henry Martín. Off go Charlie Rodríguez, Jonah Dos Santos, who had a shocker, uh, and Rogelio Funes Mori, who only lasted 45 minutes this time. That leash is getting shorter and shorter on the recently naturalized uh, Mexican player. Andrés Guardado, interestingly enough, Herc, who you retired on this show about a month ago. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. If you think Andrés Guardado is a solution for you, in, in Qatar, I don't know what to tell you. His role is Rafa Marquez-type role like Rafa did in 2018, where if you get to that second round, he's going to play. He'll be there. And what did Rafa Marquez play in that second round? 45 minutes versus Brazil? He's that type of role if he is to make it to the World Cup. So which of the subs you want to give the credit to then? Sebastián Córdoba? He was probably the brightest of the three, yes. right? Yeah, Sebastián Córdoba. But I, I think it's by committee because I think Guardado was very positive. Because uh, Guardado and Córdoba showed a poise that when it was Romo and Jonah in the middle did not show. And I agree, Jonah didn't have his best game. Jonah's still not 100% fit. You can see mm. that. And we've seen it with the Galaxy. We, you know, from speaking to him, he's still carrying the, a knock. He's not 100%. You could see it last night when they played. Romo didn't look his sharpest, and he's probably the direct equivalent of what is a Guardado. But Edson not being there, you miss that bite. You miss that fight. I thought Cordova and Guardado did very well by committee. And then Henry Martin. I mean, Henry Martin should have started this game. I, I don't hmm. know why Funes Mori started this game. It should have been Henry Martin. Uh, it wasn't. He came on. He was very positive, very bright. He was very good in his hold-up play. He was doing things that Rogelio Funes Mori didn't do in the first half. And, you know, part of that goal was uh, part of his uh, movement, part of his hold-up play. And Cordova getting on the end of it. And then, well, the rest is there. Hey, uh, Herc, a couple of the other subs. Uh, Orbelin comes off in the 60th minute. Uh, Uriel Antuna replaces him. If there was one sub that I think didn't work, it was Rodolfo Pizarro, who I'm sorry, but every time I see him with the national team, he looks uh, further wow. and further, further and further from national team level. Um, how would you grade overall Mexico's performance against Panada? Panama? Give him, a, give him a, an A through, what are we giving, F? Yes. Uh, no ease. I will give him a C plus. I'm going to give him a C plus, and C I will tell plus. you why. I know you're very high on the second half. I didn't think mm -hmm. they were as good as you said, where they had probably four chances at goal, clear-cut chances, as you said, mm -hmm. at goal. Uh, but the first half, Panama was so good, they could have scored multiple goals. And in this region, in World Cup qualifiers, you can't play that way if you're Mexico. They were very lucky to get out of it. They could have been done in. They could have been out of this game in the first 45 minutes. I thought the overall game control was lacking from Mexico, especially from what they've shown us. So I gave them a C plus, borderline almost B. Okay, all right. I'm, uh, I'm then going to be one of these teachers at like a hippie school. Okay, I'm going to grade on, on a bell curve, on a very significant curve what? here. I'm going I'm, I'm to think a lot about this. I'm going to give Mexico a B plus uh, for a few reasons, right? One, because it's a comeback win on the road in CONCACAF. I think that says something about where your team is at. Uh, the other thing that I would point out with Mexico is you, you can't, 
talk about the performance without talking about who's not there. Um, not just the big names that haven't been there all along, but you have to name them either way. No Raul Jimenez, no Chucky Lozano, no Hector Herrera, no Diego Lainez. If you throw in um, no Edson Alvarez, that's effectively, like that's not, a, that's not some of your best players, Herc. That's almost all of your best players. And this Panama team was a surprise, was the surprise package of this starting window in CONCACAF. Wait a second, So to go Sam. away to Panama. Wait a second. And get a draw coming off two wins, to me, very much a B you plus. Were screaming. Very much a B plus. You were screaming mm. because, according to you, no player in El Salvador can get into the starting lineup for the U.S. men's national team. Yeah. How many players for Panama can get in the starting lineup of the Mexican national team? Oh, I don't know. I, according to you, they're How number 10, the greatest player in CONCACAF. How many players? Yeah, okay. None. Doesn't matter. I'm still giving them a B+. Plus. <laughs> okay. uh, let's, see, let's see if our uh, next guest here can break the tie. Mauricio Pedrosa, who joins us. Of course, you can catch him five days a week working alongside Hercules Gomez on Ahora Nunca on ESPN Deportes. All right, uh, Mau, we brought you in here for three questions on the Mexican national team. Actually, a little... Uh, Three-on-three. Three. Remember Herc two-on-three back in the day at the uh, World Cup in Russia? We bring Mao in to, uh, to compliment us then. All right, first question here. A USA versus Mexico-themed edition, gentlemen, of three questions. First question, who has Ooh. better options at the number nine position? Mexico or the United States? Mao, who are you going with? Hello, friends. Uh, my answer is the U.S. men's national team they have better options as of right now. Wow. I know the option number one for Mexico for Raul Jimenez. Mau, the U.S. started an 18-year-old last night. He's but, 18. But, 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 <laughs> but, 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 if you allow me, if you allow me to complete my answer, I'll let you know this. As of right now, we have no idea when and if Raul Jimenez will be available again in the near future for the Mexican national team. So that, so that leaves the team in a very, very, very weak position because we just saw what happened with Rogelio Funes Mori, the first number nine in Mexico's history to go zero goles after starting in three consecutive World Cup qualifying games. That's bad. Option C is Henry Martin, who I know Herc is not a fan of and who apparently is just playing because there's no other option. Last night, I saw the future. Last night at El Olimpico de San Pedro Sula, I saw a guy that is going to score many goals for the U.S. men's national team. And that leads me to answer your question with, right now, the best situation regarding number nine position is for Los Estados Unidos. Listen, it's it's really a wash because none of these players on both sides are consistently scoring goals at the national team level. Sans Ricardo Pepe, who's had one game, so exclude him from that, okay? So it's a wash. I'm going to go with don't. Who's playing at the higher level and who has the higher ceiling? Of course, it's the U.S. Men's National Team Nines. Oh, my because gosh. They're younger, what am I because they're playing in the Premier League, they're playing in the Champions League, and because they're 21, 22, and 23 years old. Funes Mori, Funes Mori was stuck... Very good goal scorer at Rayados, but he was stuck on 122 goals, that record, for like three months. He couldn't score that final goal. Comes here, and Mal just gave you the statistic. Henry Martinez scored a senior on the senior national team level. He scored two goals in the last, like, what, five years for the Mexican national team? Alan Pulido, nowhere to be found. Raul yeah. Jimenez yeah. on the shelf. Seb, it doesn't take... Chicharito Black listed. Wait, well, injured. 
you know, for the better part of four months, blacklisted, whatever you want to say, but he's not in the equation. But it doesn't take a genius to see. Here it is. Okay. So a genius on this show uh, a couple weeks ago <laughs> told me that Santiago Jimenez was better than Ricardo Pepe. I, you and said now, it too. That same genius. He's not in the equation. Same, He's that not same with the genius is team. telling me that a team who who didn't even use Santiago Jimenez that exactly. that depth they chart don't even use is him. thinner than the team that used Ricardo Pepe. I mean, there's no logic, Herc, to yeah. what you're saying. Why the U.S. just started desperately why started an 18-year-old. They, they did. That's why I don't include him in this. I said, "Sans Ricardo Pepe, clean your ears." Uh, so you're taking Ricardo Pepe out and you're still not saying only, that the U.S. Not, is better than Mexico. <laughs> I, not only am I saying it, the guy in the middle here is saying it. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> L- listen, listen, Sebi. Listen, Sebi. Last night, last night, El Bebote, the El big bebote. baby, Santiago big baby. Jimenez, yeah. he could have mm-hmm. been a part of this team. He wasn't even on the bench. He had to be watching the game from a, from a press box because he's not good enough for the national team. That's the way it goes. <laughs> I understand he's not good enough for the Mexican national team. That tells you that the guys ahead of him. With that, that tells you that the guys ahead of him are better. That means they're better than Ricardo Pepe, who you both told me Santiago Jimenez was better. I take it, Sebastian. You you think El Tri has better options at nine? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think so. You (laughs) can make that argument. Absolutely. I mean, Rogelio Funes Mori is not a better player right now than than Pepe. Who's got more World Cup qualifying goals? <laughs> um, okay, 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 okay. Second question, moving on. <laughs> Whose seat is hotter? Tata Martino or Greg Berhalter? And we know Herc's answer. Herc's answer is going to be like, well, it's cultural. It's cultural. It's always Tata Martino. Now, who is it? Oh, but I mean, the, the answer is Tata Martino, but for different reasons. I, I get what Herc says. The pressure is on the first place, me We've said this on the show before. Mexico, there are two positions that are completely 100%, 24-7 scrutinized. The president of the country and the manager of the national team. And that's Tata Martino. But I still believe, I still believe as of right now, there are certain things that have happened, especially during this summer, that make me believe that Tata Martin is not 100% happy with his job. Mm. I know he's making a lot of money, but, and, and these three games, by the way, bought him a, a great amount of time. But what happens if in October, Mexico loses at home? What happens if in October, they get only two out of nine points? Then pressure is going to be back again. And you guys, you guys are way too dramatic with your Greg Berhalter conversation. I went and checked the stats. In the past 24 games he's managed the team, he's lost only twice. He's unbeaten. He had to visit El Salvador and Honduras, tough places, and he got five out of nine points. He's fine. The team is young. He's creating and developing system and getting points. Tata Martino's seed is hotter, way hotter than Mm -hmm. Greg Berhalter's. I don't know about those statistics, excuse me, statistics, uh, but he's, it's way hotter because he's under a microscope and he will be. And, and who's asking for Greg Berhalter's head or who's questioning, who's putting that into question? He was you 15 were, minutes se- away. Seb, Seb, he was listen, 15 minutes away. Listen, we are the only ones, the only outlet doing this. We are the only ones who have asked these questions of Greg Berhalter. Nobody else in Mexico. 
Every single television network, every single news outlet, paper, blogger, fan, anybody who watches football in that football-driven country has him under a microscope in a way that Greg Berhalter will never be under a microscope. Of course, of course it is Tata Martino. Mm. I wonder if that, that comes down to who's in the media, Herc. Well, what do you want from me? I work here, not there. Yeah, I bet. I bet you do. I I just find it interesting that the guy who is in first place without any of his stars, almost any of his stars, something that Greg Berhalter definitely had, he had more of his players than Tata Martino did, is under more pressure than Greg Berhalter, who literally on this show was 15 minutes away from us doing a segment about who his replacement should be. Tecatito Corona, Hector Herrera, Carlos Salcedo, Uh, Chicharito Hernandez. He's had issues with all these players. On top of that, losing two finals. On top of that, his his wear and tear with the press. And I agree with Mao. It may not even be their decision. It could be Tata Martino saying, you know what? I'm good. I don't need this. I want to add one more thing to that. Uh, Let's also consider, because uh, Sebi, you spoke of this three games It's not only because of what happens during these three games or the next three games. The summer was really bad, and the player selection has been very questionable. Those reasons are adding up to the pressure on Tata Martino. Okay, third question. As we sit right now, and as we just mentioned, Mexico is in first place. Will they finish the qualifying cycle in first place? Mal, what do you think? I will say yes, but it won't mean a thing. Here's why. Mm. If Mexico ends up the octagonal in first place, but the last couple of games are shaky, if there are still questions surrounding Tata Martino and the way he handles the national team, doesn't matter if you end first, it matters how you get to Qatar in 2022. That's gonna be the true assignment for Tata Martino. So the way it's looking like, yes, Mexico might end up in first place, I I, I do believe that the U.S. men's national team is still finding their own identity. It's still a part of the process. They might find some bumps along the way. Still, and might lose a game here and there. Mexico lose solid, but being solid is not good enough. So, yeah, Mm. they might finish first, but it won't mean a thing. They've only finished first, what, once since 2000? And that was 2018 with Juan Carlos Osorio, uh, El Profesor. Juan Carlos Osorio. Um, honestly, Seb, they'll finish first because they've got more mm-hmm. players in their prime. They've got more players who are not only in their prime, but are better players than the field right now, today. They're a better team. They're better coached. Uh, there are fewer holes. There are less questions being asked them on the sporting side than the field. I think if you go through the U.S., Canada, Jamaica, Panama, mm. You're going to find lots of holes, lots of questions being asked. Not so many on the Mexican side. But I agree with Mao. I mean, what does it matter if you go in first? Because we've seen him go in first, same outcome. We've seen him get a playoff game against New Zealand, go in 2014, same outcome. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the better question is, now will they finish first? Will they go in caminando? Will they do it with a game or with two games to spare? I I think they will. (laughs) I think when you go seven out of nine without that many players and two of the three being on the road, I think it's safe Eight to teams, say they're going to... Eight teams, not six. Eight teams. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Still, uh, Mexico sitting pretty uh, after the first three matches. All right, Mauricio, we got to let you go. Good luck the rest of the week on Ahora Nunca. 
I always feel sorry that you got to work with this guy. Not not twice a week, five days a week. Mauricio hey. Pedrosa, what a legend. Yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> got to make the big bucks. Adios, amigos. <laughs> there he goes, Mauricio Pedrosa. Catch him uh, Monday through Friday on ESPN Deportes. This will be big news for Mal. Chicharito is back. Javier Hernandez back to training with the Los Angeles Galaxy. And it turns out he will be available, Herc, uh, for this weekend against the Colorado Rapids. The Galaxy are still fourth in the West, which is actually, Herc, just about where he left them when he got hurt earlier this year. Pretty good work for the Galaxy then without their star man. They've done very well. Uh, it, it's been riding the waves. Some very good moments, some not so good moments when they got completely shellacked versus Dallas in Dallas. But this is a team that's well coached. It's a different team than last season. You know, Chicharito's gonna be a big part of that. So it's good to see him back. And uh, I was told, do not say anything about Chicharito and the Mexican National The producer doesn't want to hear anything else about Chicharito and the Mexican National So I will not say anything about Chicharito and the Mexican National Team. Good call, yeah. Let's definitely not talk about Chicharito and the Mexican National Team when the Mexican National Team needs forwards. Uh, LA Galaxy right now, <laughs> six points. Six points uh, out of first place. All right, remember this? Over under from much, much earlier in our show's history. Would Chicharito go over 15 and a half goals on the season. Now, there was there was a point where this looked like easy money. Easy money. I took the over. <laughs> yes. You did. You did take the over. And when he was sitting on 10 goals in May, it, it made a lot of sense. Well, here we are in September. He's still on 10 goals. I think they got, what, uh, maybe 12, 12 games, games left. left. 12 games you still left. Taking, you still taking the over on that 15 and a half? Yes, I will still take the mm -hmm. over. I will tell you why. Six of those games are Houston twice, Austin, LAFC, Portland, and Dallas. Some of the worst teams defensively in the Western Conference final, or Western Conference, I should say. So you get six games to try to pad those stats against these very bad defending teams. And another six games where you can be whatever you want. I think Javier Hernandez will do it. I think Greg Berhalter knows how to get him in positions to succeed. If he's physically fit, I think okay. he'll score. And he's... And he's one of those forwards. He scores one. He's going to score two. He's going to score three. Right. Um, so one thing we do know about Chicharito is if he does score the goals that you're talking about, he will be discussed in, oh, sorry, producer, no, the Mexican <laughs> national team. All right. Uh, one more thing. Hey, don't forget, it's, it's League's Cup coming back next week. we got the semifinals going. And on Tuesday, that's Seattle Sounders against Santos Laguna. Should be an absolute throw. The, yes. the Gomez Cup, they're calling it. The yes. Gomez Cup on ESPN2. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about the U.S. women's national team dropping their roster for a couple upcoming friendlies against Paraguay in Cleveland and Cincinnati, respectively. It's basically the Olympic team, with a few exceptions, uh, out due to injury, Alyssa Nair, Julie Ertz, Sam Mewis, and Megan Rapinoe. So some big names uh, right there, four starters, really, if you think about it. Uh, in Mallory Pugh, Sophia Smith, and Andy Sullivan. Those are non-Olympic participants that have been called in for these games. The big name that you'll note uh, not on the list is Kristen uh, Press. Now, she actually released a statement online, and, and I kind of want to paraphrase because it was long, but I, I want to get to the important part. Uh, one, she said, I've made the difficult decision, Herc, 
uh, to take some time away from the game to focus on my mental health, spiritual growth, and processing grief. She also added, I believe I will come back uh, stronger than ever. Um, Herc, this isn't the first time that we've seen a prominent athlete uh, step away from their sport this year. Uh, what do you make of it with Kristen Press and the US Women's National Team? She's just doing what's best for her. And, and that's respectable, I, I can respect that. I, people will never realize what it's like to be in the limelight and see, read, hear negative things about you or mm. feel a negative way about yourself. The insecurities that come with that and the thoughts that can come with it. If this is what she needs to be in a better state of mind, which will ultimately be better for her physically with the US Women's National Team, Angel City, et cetera, et cetera, but just more than anything on a personal level for her to be happy for her to be for her to be calm about this for her to be at ease with her situation then do it she doesn't know anything to anybody yeah i'm i'm thinking about kind of how the pandemic has changed careers and i think there's a lot of careers you can look at i wonder if we'll look back and say that about kristen press's career because i remember just before the pandemic literally just before the pandemic I was calling She Believes Cup matches with Julie Foudy. And at that time, you really felt, and this is early 2020, you felt that Kristen Press was probably the best attacking player on the U.S. women's national team at that point, and maybe the best, if not one of the best attacking players in the world. Then the pandemic hits. I think she lost some of that momentum. And if you remember her at the Olympics, uh, she wasn't the star. She wasn't the player that the ball went through a ton. And so I wonder if when we look back, we'll say what might have been if the Olympics had been in 2020 for Kristen Press, because she at that moment to me really looked like she was about to explode. Now, the other thing that I'll mention here is her age. She's 32. Uh, the national team waits for no one. You know, that's the other reality here when you step away from the game. There's a lot of really young, talented players, and that position specifically is one that needs younger players. So I wonder what this means for her future with the national team. Will this be a short layoff, long layoff? We don't know. But if it is a longer layoff, um, I wonder if there's not a, kind of a queue of young players who could be in line to take some of her minutes and maybe her position. To that, to that point, uh, let me pick one player from the new group that I think could be a player to watch in these coming games against Paraguay. And to me, it's a very, it's a very obvious name, and that's Mallory Pugh. Mallory Pugh is a player who we thought was going to be the next big thing. Her, you remember the, the Rio Olympics? This was a player that was a teenager at the Rio Olympics and playing on the U.S. women's national team. She didn't make this Olympic squad some five years later. This could be the beginning, I think, of a redemption tour. She's 23 years old, Seb. 23 mm -hmm. years old, she's already played like 60 plus times for her country, a World Cup winner. It's not like she's in the other side of 30 and we're like, can she get her magic back? She regained that form. She's 23 years old, great opportunity mm -hmm. for her. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I would say about her is she's got a little bit of Crystal Dunn in her. Uh, in 2015, Crystal Dunn was one of the last players left off the team. She then tore up the NWSL for the rest of the season, and from then it was never a doubt anymore as to whether Crystal Dunn would be in the national team or not. Since being left off this roster, Mallory Pugh's having a pretty good season, three goals already for Chicago Red Stars. So I think, uh, watch out, we may be seeing the uh, second birth for Mallory Pugh with the women's national team. We'll see more of it on September 16th, Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. The U.S. against Paraguay from Cleveland, a game you can see on ESPN2 uh, and, of course, streaming live on the ESPN app. Our <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. 
making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Let's hand out some winners and losers from the transfer window that was in Herc. Let's start with Matthew Hoppy, who moves from Schalke in Bundesliga 2 to Mallorca in La Liga. Herc, for you, winner or loser? Winner, what's he going to do? Stay in Bundesliga 2 or go to La Liga? Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. He's got to be a winner. He's on ESPN Plus, right? Sh shame about that team. No offense, Stuart Holden, but, you know. And what do you mean? Uh, he goes from Schalke <laughs> to Mallorca. Mallorca's a major upgrading place to live, right? Well, There's a, well, okay. And he gets his own a yeah. a, an awesome... Look at this. They did his... Uh, his intro video was great. Let's I like La Liga for him. I like La Liga for him. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's a technical league, right? Isn't that a good fit for him? Yeah, I like him. I the like him in the technical, technical league. He's going to be very good if he can play. I mean, there's still a player that's very much unproved at the senior level with the, with what is the club team. What is club team? Mm. I guess the question is, and we'll probably you could ask this the same about Josh Sargent later, is that the minutes won't be guaranteed at Mallorca as they would have had he stayed at Schalke. Uh, and so minutes will be a big part of this, right? If, if he doesn't get minutes at Mallorca, we may not be looking at Correct. this as a win. It's risk-reward here. Absolutely. All right, moving on from Matthew Hoppy to a move that didn't happen. Tecatito, who will be staying at Porto despite serious links to both Sevilla in La Liga and AC Milan in Syria. Herc, no, is Tecatito no, no, a winner no, no. or a loser? A loser in this one because they were asking for 13 million for him. He's 28 years of age. He's coming off what two seasons ago he was voted the best player in Yo, Portugal. Am I crazy? Does 13 million sound like nothing? Does what? it sound like nothing? In this pandemic era transfer win? No, no, it's something. It's something. That's why you see, honestly, 13 million, 28 years old. I, he's going to leave for free in six months. He can sign for free in six months. Why are you asking for so much? Hector Herrera left Portugal, left Porto for free. Why are you going to let the same thing happen at Tecatito? Loser on a lot of fronts, right? He needed the move. We've been waiting forever yeah. for this move. Not just him, but I think fans of Tecatitos have been wanting to see him tested at a higher level. He missed the first game for Mexico. I don't know that some of that didn't have to do with them trying to, to maybe get a deal yeah. done late. So there I was think a, all of there, that. There was, there was something there as well. The other thing I would say is the money was very weird here. I saw various reports that said people were willing to pay what Porto wanted, but not what the agents and everybody else huh. um, wanted. What about Serginho Dest, who also was linked to some potential moves, but in the end, ends up staying at Barcelona. Yeah, he stayed, but it's not so much Serginho Dest, it's who left. Emerson left, his direct competition left, mm -hmm. he gone. So this is now his to lose, his position to lose. So he's a winner in this, you're playing at Barcelona. Kuman, for whatever reason, has an affinity with you. Uh, you can play in a system where you can get better. I think this is a win-win for him. Mm. All right, you say winner, I say loser. The only reason I really have here to say loser is that Lionel Messi left. And who doesn't want to play with Lionel Messi? Well, he did. That's the reason yeah. he went to Barcelona. He said it exactly. himself. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. I also just think like maybe Barcelona is not the place you want to be moving forward. His other options seem to be pretty good. He's, he's had always a lot of interest from Bayern Munich, PSG. Barcelona's not what it was, and I don't know that they're going to be what they were anytime soon. You know? The yeah. economic realities for that club are pretty bleak. 
Next up on our winners or losers, another player that jumped from Bundesliga 2, from Werder Bremen, to Norwich in the Premier League, recently promoted Norwich City. Herc, good move for Josh Sargent. You giving him a win? I'm giving him a win, and here's why. He's still very young, 21 years of age. He would have stayed in Bundesliga 2 with Bremen. I don't think he was going to stay no matter what. You're in a team now that's in the Premier League, one of the best leagues in the world, if not the best league in the world. There are going to be plenty of competitions for you to play in. I think it's going to be a very, very productive, growing experience for him. He's a winner. I just don't know if he's going to play the type of football that I think he needs to play, mm. but he's still yeah. a winner. Yeah, or if he's or if he's going to play, right? I mean, that's the other thing. Don't we want to see him? Although we saw him, we saw him used out wide for the U.S. I wonder if that's really where we're going to see him for Norwich as well, because Timu Puki, the star for Finland, is is their guy up top, and I don't think Josh Sargent is getting significant minutes playing through the middle for Norwich anytime soon. So I, I, w I was going to say loser because he's not going to play through the middle. But now that I see him being used out wide for Greg Berhalter, I might switch switch my side over to winner. All right, uh, who is this? Johan Vasquez. Moving from Pumas to Genoa in Syria. Winner or loser? Winner, man. Winner. How often do you see Mexican players leave at a young age to mm -hmm. Europe? And a player who is leaving because he played well at the Olympics. This is a win-win for everybody involved. Pumas, which desperately needed that money uh, to reinvest in their clubs. Johan Vasquez, who needs this type of movement to proceed in his international career. Tata Martino, who needs better central defenders right now. It's a win for everybody. Gen Genoa, who, who could use a player like him once he's actually fit uh, I think he will play, be a player of use their center backs are of an older age I think it's a win-win for everybody yeah almost everybody I would say winner it's definitely a winner for Johan Vasquez you get to go to Syria supposedly they know something about defending over there okay it's a win for Genoa as you mentioned uh, they need him. huge win for the Mexican national team if there's a position of concern right now for me it's it's central defense uh, and to have a guy like that in there uh, just a, a massive, massive win. The only reason I'd give him a loser is they only got 2.5 million euros for him. Come yeah, on. come on. He's got to be what worth a little bit more? more than that. All right, how about Weston McKinney, who was linked to a couple Premier League teams, Spurs and Everton, the rumors that I saw heating up the most. Instead, though, he will stay uh, at Juventus. Good move or bad non-move so, for Weston McKinney? So, when we did this... At the transfer window, it was a good move, and he's a winner because Allegri mm -hmm. spoke about his importance on how he wanted him on the field, get him closer to goal, what his legs can provide the team as far as work rate and goals. Allegri saw him in a positive, but this just in, Allegri doesn't like what he's seen off of that U.S. men's national team exile. So this could potentially be something bad for him. Maybe yeah. you want to go somewhere with a clean slate. But based off previous comments from Allegri, and the way he will play him, I think this is a positive. Andrea Pirlo had him in a different situation, and he was still somewhat thriving when he played. I think under Allegri, he can actually uh, do a lot more. I'll say loser, not just because of the, the recent comments from the Juventus hierarchy, but also because Weston McKinney has said it before publicly. His dream is to play in the Premier League, so he might not have been uh, all that far away from it. The other thing here um, is one of the teams that was supposedly interested was Burnley. And I don't know if you saw this on ESPN FC, but Gab Marcotti said... Burnley pulled out when they realized the people they were negotiating with weren't Weston McKinney's agents. So that's a worry for me with Weston McKinney, that there are people out there supposedly representing him that are not actually representing him. If that's the takeaway from Burnley of trying to bring you into their team, uh, that's a big worry How's moving forward Weston? when it comes to transfer. Well, it's, it's, it's a worry for him. Well. It's a worry for him.
All right, uh, plenty more on next week's editions of Football Americas. Hercules will be back with, I'm sure, another cool shirt to don. What do you and don? of course, if you ever miss a show or if you have a friend that doesn't have ESPN+, Plus, download the podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts right there in the ESPN What's your FC shirt feed. saying, Manilo? We'll see you next time here on ESPN+. Plus. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One.